Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thank you for taking the time with us. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. Technical support is provided by CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high-quality mobility for all. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hey, good afternoon, Fred. Good afternoon, and joining us from Momentum Dynamics in Malvern, PA, is Chief Commercial Officer Bob Kasurgis. Hi, Bob. Good afternoon, Fred. Good afternoon, Alan. Hey, nice to have you, Bob. Very okay. nice to meet you both. Momentum Dynamics is in the business of building high-power wireless charging for electric vehicles, and that may play a key role in the future of automated mobility. Bob, let's start out uh, with an overview of the company for our audience here. Sure. Just to give you a little bit of background, uh, we're a privately held company. Uh, We are based in Malvern, Pennsylvania, which is in one of the western suburbs of Philadelphia, And our team is composed of engineers who come from the telecom industry, the defense industry, and the space industry. Uh, So it's really a collection of folks who have dealt with high power in high reliability um, uh, environments. And we do one thing. It's provide dynamic or provide wireless power for um, all types of electric vehicles, uh, everything ranging from a passenger vehicle to delivery trucks, heavy duty trucks, um, uh, people moving vehicles such as shuttle vans and transit buses. Um, we've been around since 2009. We started deploying commercially in 2017. And we are uh, in North America and in Europe in uh, hundreds of vehicles and all classes of vehicles uh, in um, you know, day-to-day revenue service. And uh, when we get a little bit more into the discussion, I could go into more of the details. Um, But just to give you a a quick look at what it is, the picture behind me, those two blue pads are an example of our chargers. Each of those blue pads is a 75 kilowatt charger. Uh, These are in the street in uh, one of the suburbs of Oslo, Norway. Um, And these are actually uh, curbside chargers that taxi drivers will charge at while they're at a taxi stand waiting to pick up a fare. So they'll sit here for a few minutes many times a day, and we are building a network of these scattered around the city uh, for the benefit of these drivers. And I guess we could liken this to the the wireless phone chargers that so many of us have today. You just put your phone on top of it and it charges. Same kind of concept here. Uh, In in general, the same concept, but uh, probably 10 or 20,000 times more powerful and much more efficient. Uh, The the, uh, low power devices that consumers use are notoriously inefficient. Um, and alignment intolerant. We're actually just the opposite. We're highly efficient and highly misalignment tolerant. Well, you've mentioned one, I think, but your technology is being rolled out in a number of locations. Uh, I've read about Washington State, uh, the Kansas City Airport, some in San Francisco, Volvo taxis in Sweden. Tell us more. Uh, You've got quite a bit going on. Yeah, sure. And I'm, I'm sure I'm going to miss some. Uh, but over in Europe, uh, we have taxis in Oslo and in Gothenburg. Uh, so they are with the Jaguar I-PACE and the Volvo uh, XC40 Recharge. Uh, we are integrated on another passenger automobile, not yet publicly revealed. Um, we are pa- integrated with uh, delivery trucks that are in service today as uh, grocery delivery vans 
uh, for a, a UK grocer uh, called Waitrose, one of the large grocery chains over in the UK. Um, we're also integrated on autonomous class eight trucks uh, over in Europe, and that's in a test track environment. Um, we're working on a lot of other projects under NDA. Um, in the US, we are mostly in transit buses. Uh, our biggest projects are Indianapolis, uh, where uh, they're actually our largest customer. Um, and then Wenatchee Link Transit is our oldest customer, and they're on their third or fourth round of buying more chargers and more buses. Uh, we're also doing the island of Martha's Vineyard. We're doing, uh, we have buses down in Chattanooga. Um, and then we're in many cities up in the Northwest uh, that are not yet announced, but up in the uh, Seattle area and in the Portland area. And we also are building a network of high power chargers in Northern California in the um, uh, Solano Transit Transportation Authority, which is a regional congestion planning uh, authority. And that network is going to be used for um, buses that operate between Sacramento and San Francisco. And more importantly, it is a shared charging network uh, that is going to be made available to 11 transit agencies that also operate and interoperate in that area. So we have a lot of projects going on in a lot of places. Um, we're also working on multiple truck integrations for delivery trucks as well as uh, heavy duty trucks. Um, the only two that I could discuss publicly are Mack trucks and Volvo trucks, uh, but there's a lot of other ones going on as well. We have a pipeline of about 70 different vehicles that are in our integration pipeline, and we're currently integrated with 22 different vehicle models. Now, on your website, and one of the big reasons why you're here is that you're saying that your charging system is ideal for high utilization fleets such as taxis, and that certainly rings a bell with us. Yeah, so our initial strategy is to go after the commercial fleets. Um, so it's the buses, it's the taxis, it's the delivery trucks. And the reason is the use case or the value that we provide is much higher for a commercial vehicle. And the reason is these, these are revenue producing vehicles. And if I could keep them in, in use for more hours, they can generate more revenue. A taxi, for example, we can put a driver in the seat uh, and a lot of these are two shift or three shift vehicles. And we can give them 30% more revenue time by having them just charge opportunistically many times throughout the day while they're sitting at a taxi stand. They're sitting there anyway, grab some electrons. So our, our whole strategy is not to fully charge your vehicle every time you plug in, quote, plug in, uh, but to grab some electrons whenever you are happen to be sitting at a natural dwelling spot, grab some opportunity charging. So in the case of these taxis, they might charge 12, 14 times a day, five, 10 minutes at, at, a, at a pop. Um, a transit bus might charge six to eight times a day um, for anywhere from three to five, maybe seven minutes. But the other beauty of this technology is many vehicles can share that same charger. And not only um, many similar vehicles, but we can cross classes of vehicles on the same charger. And so we use this same technology for higher power chargers by tiling multiples of these squares together. Uh, so this, the, the picture behind me is a 75 kilowatt. Um, if I put two of them together, I have a 150, four of them together, I have a 300. And any vehicle can interoperate on any of those chargers as long as they have those, the pads on the vehicle to receive it. 
So maybe let me. I have a I have a few technical questions. If I Absolutely. may ask a few te technical questions, and then we'll we'll get back to the the business and and the value proposition. One is, um, if if I compare try to compare apples and apples, what's the efficiency loss uh, or differential between plug in and what you do? I mean, so what is it really okay? Yeah, so a wireless system is fairly equivalent or slightly better than a plug-in based system. If Talk well to me, defined. how can it be better? Okay, talk to no, me. I, I'm gonna tell you why. Okay, I'm, um, I'm asking, I'm, I'm setting you up to tell me why, tell me. So, so, um, so if you think of the architecture of a DC fast charger, there is a couple components. There is right. the power electronics, which right, is the big right. cabinet that's hidden somewhere yeah, in the bushes. Sure, sure. Yep, yep, yep. And that's where in any DC fast charger, including ours, that's where the majority of the losses are. It's getting the okay. power from the grid into the right state to get it out to the vehicle. Right. And then you have the vehicle coupling end. So how do you right. connect to the vehicle? And in that part of the circuit, you have distance losses. So you, you know, you have resistive losses through cable. Sure. So in the power electronics end of the circuit we have an advantage in that we can skip one key power trans transformation stage which is an isolation an air gap transformer and the reason we can skip that stage which is a safety component the air gap between the vehicle and the ground serves the function of an air gap performer in our system design so we have a more efficient power electronics cabinet than a dc fast charger and then on the vehicle coupling end we actually have less copper between us and the cabinet in coupling to the cable. A lot of people think the air gap is a source of loss and you're radiating, but it's actually just the opposite. The air gap is an extremely efficient transmission source for electromagnetic um, uh, waves or the, the magnetic field. That air gap is not a source of loss. In fact, it is 99.94% efficient from in, in that air gap. So, so if you think of you know, the overall topology of that system, we're more efficient at the cabinet. You know, the, the cabinet to vehicle run length is yep. about the same. And then the vehicle coupling end, we're more efficient. Now, the, the other um, thing that really is interesting, when we go to higher powers, we actually have a, because we have this modular system. So each of our, so if I have a 300 kilowatt system, Instead of one big fat cable, I actually am running four parallel low power, low amperage systems. And if you think of the losses in a conductor IR squared, we are actually running high power with a lower amperage than a DC fast charger of an equivalent power level. So we actually have a resistive loss advantage, we have a cabinet advantage, and we have a vehicle coupling advantage. Um, one of our there was a YouTuber that actually did a test uh, of us versus plugs over in um, Oslo a couple of weeks ago. And we were finding we had a 10 to 15% efficiency advantage over a similar powered plug system. But I'm not going to say that we're going to find that everywhere. Okay. I, I, I think it's very important that, that you stated that 
to our audience because I, I think it is imp it's an important question. Uh, we'll send you our tuition payment very shortly because we learned an awful lot. Thank you very much for that. No, seriously, because I think this is a this is a question in, in some people's minds and they need to understand fundamentally what you're doing here to be able to do this. I guess my second question is alignment. The issue with alignment and 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 and, and how how you control that or or how how you make um, uh, how critical that is so alignment in a first of all if you have a distance between the pads you're actually more tolerant to misalignment the further you're away if you're very close you're very alignment intolerant um, so in our system, we can tolerate an alignment uh, X, Y off at about four to five inches misalignment in any direction and still operate at full power. Um, so what happens is if, if we detect you are too far misaligned, we will actually terminate power and give a message to the operator. Um, then the kind of the flip side of your question is, well, how do you help people get better alignment? Um, well, I, I'm going to give the answer to that one because for the for what I'm interested in, hey, it's 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 the compute stack in the vehicle. I mean, if you send it a signal that it needs to move, da 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 da, it's going to do it. So in a sense, you know, it's all part of the you know we can write algorithms to do that. We don't even have to instruct somebody. So it's actually easier, you know, for what we're looking for, which we haven't gotten to. What we're looking for, the, uh, this yeah. this is a solution. This is easier. You're this giving... is trivial. This is, you know, no brainer. Okay. So thank you. I guess we can move on from that when I got no, the no, answer. What, what I'm saying, I... what I was going to say is you were giving the where we are going state answer, because that's exactly when we, when we deal with an autonomous vehicle, which we have, or when we integrate with an ADAS system, we're just giving an X, Y error and the vehicle's doing it perfectly. Yeah, yeah no, and, and it should do it perfectly and so on. And, and, and I think it's important what you just mentioned that, that what we're dealing with are two different markets or at least what we tend to deal with. Uh, the one of the markets are, are, are ADAS vehicles or what we call self-driving safe vehicles uh, that we own, that we buy in the, in the showroom uh, that basically have the, uh, the automation system to help us. We're still in the driver's seat we're still responsible, we're, we're still whatever. Uh, but in fact, uh, these, these systems can do all those movements, can accept uh, the signal to be able to move and, and, and to, to approach these things. That's actually trivial for them, uh, for the things that, that, that we buy and we own and, and what the car dealers are beginning to sell in, in, in vehicles, uh, in, in showrooms. So I, I think you have a, an enormous uh, market opportunity there uh, for those um, for those vehicles, uh, since it seems that every OEM, you know, has to catch up with with Elon and put out, uh, you know, EVs that do various things, you know, this function to be able to nudge in uh, and do this and and. You know, I'm surprised Elon hasn't picked it up to put it in his smart chargers. Maybe he has, and you can't tell us about it, but whatever, um, in some sense, he should um, and, and to put that in those vehicles. So, so that's, a, that's, a, that's a wonderful opportunity. The whole charging business of, of how you charge, whether or not you go in there and grab the darn thing and so on and so forth. Make sure that the power is actually controlled when it, when it do, does have the alignment. You can, 
you can deal with that all in software. I mean, in, in, in the control system, the safety aspects can all be dealt with. And so it seems to me that you have an enormous market opportunity uh, for doing the, the, the charging of either the vehicles that we buy in the showroom or the vehicles that are going to be out there providing mobility for us that are run by a fleet and, and doing it themselves. So I guess that's the real reason why why Fred and I were, were really anxious to bring you out here on on a Sunday afternoon to, to chat with us about, about all this. Yeah, let me yeah, chime in for a second. Bob, Bob, I wanted to, you to get yeah. into a little bit because people might be thinking to themselves, okay, that sounds great, but what about when there's snow or ice or leaves on, on the road? Does it work? Is it safe? So that, that's actually one of the other advantages of this. It works through all of that stuff, snow, ice, um, and I think you had a, a picture, uh, Fred, of it operating through ice that one of our uh, podcasts uh, did a demo of. Uh, it operates through snow, and I'll provide you a, a photo of operating through snow and ice. And our bus operators are actually quite excited when they see that happening uh, because, um, you know, in the wintertime, which is a lot of our operators are in the northern part of the country, uh, there is frequently ice storms and snow and we operate and we'll operate through snow, ice, water, underwater. Uh, so it really is all of that stuff is invisible to the EMF, uh, which is and one of the, the safety issues. The like if, 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 if uh, my neighbor's cat crawls between crawls under my car while this is parked on, on a pad, is that it, a problem? will not cook your neighbor's cat. Uh, there is no safety <laughs> issue. Um, we adhere to all the same exact same uh, electromagnetic emission standards as every other technology device that you're that you own in your home. Um, it, you know, I like I like to share two stories. Uh, one about EMF. Uh, the Jaguar engineers did their own EMF testing because uh, nobody believes us, um, and they found that the uh, phone charger inside the car and the seat heaters inside the car were much big emitters of EMF. Than our system while operating at full power. Um, so I the other mentioned two cats. things to See keep that? in mind is <laughs> if you keep your cell phone in your breast pocket, that is more dangerous than laying down next to our car while it is charging at full power. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it was a few years back. We were all worried if we put the phone up to our ears, uh, it's going to fry our brains. I don't know. Whatever happened to all that I, I, or something, it, it sort of dissipated or that was fake news of, of 20 years ago or what the, I mean, whatever. I don't know. Well, um, tell, tell us about the economics, Bob, uh, and yeah. why this makes sense. Obviously, when you're starting out, this kind of technology is going to be pretty expensive but hopefully comes down like everything else in prices at scales. Tell, tell me yeah. what the situation is. So, so economics are obviously how we're going to market because we have a more economic way of charging. Um, the cost of the technology is around the same as the cost of a DC fast charger of the same power level. Um, but we do have additional components on the vehicle side, um, although the vehicles already have costs built in for the plug chargers as well. Um, which, you know, is probably a wash in the long run. Uh, but the way we really help fleets save money is by fleet utilization, uh, maintenance reduction, labor reduction. Um, and let me talk about fleet utilization uh, because that's actually the biggest one in some of these fleets. In a transit bus world, if you use plugs as your only charging strategy and you plug all your buses in overnight, you operate, those buses cannot drive a full days of service. So you have to swap them out at some point during the day with a new bus. 
Um, and some of the engineering firms are recommending a replacement ratio of one and a half to two buses electric to replace one diesel bus. That's ridiculous. Instead, what we say is buy the most efficient bus you can that has the passenger load that you need and keep it on the road as long as you like um, by doing opportunistic charging. And so what we'll do is in the loop, say a bus has a 45 minute loop, once somewhere in that loop, there is a, it's called a makeup stop where they usually schedule a 10 to 15 minute interval where they adjust if the bus is arriving early or late and that way the next run of the bus will always be on time. So that's where we look to put the chargers and it's where the drivers get their coffee break, their bathroom break, their smoke break. And so we are charging at those locations while the bus is already stopping. Um, and this is frequently at a transfer station where multiple uh, bus lines intersect. Um, so we will get um, a bus will hit that charger maybe six, seven, eight times a day for three, four, five, six, seven minutes but it's sharing that same charger with six to eight to 10 buses. So that charger is busy all day long. So now I'm getting really high utilization out of my expensive infrastructure, as opposed to an overnight charging strategy where you're only using your chargers for the overnight period, then your chargers are sitting idle all day. We're actually keeping the expensive piece of infrastructure busy all day long uh, by charging it while the vehicles are at work. And I'm going to give you the most extreme example that we're involved in this is um, airport shuttles um, out of Kansas City Airport. Uh, the chargers are built curbside where the passengers are hopping on the buses, loading their luggage. It's going to sit there for three to five minutes during that loading. It will have to stop over the charger once every five cycles of its route. You do all the math, we believe we can keep an entire fleet of 28 buses 24 seven on the road with two chargers. That's because we're thinking very carefully about looking at it as an operations problem and thinking about what do you really need to do to keep these fleets operating. Um, and that's very different than the way vehicles are being purchased and sold today is every time they're selling a vehicle, they're trying to sell you a charger, which is, you know, think of it in the gasoline vehicle days. Every time you were buying a gasoline vehicle, they're not selling you a, a pump and a gas tank to sit in your garage. That's the way the EV industry is acting today. They're trying to sell everybody a gas pump. Um, and that's just not a sustainable economic model. Well, you know, this is, this is really uh, all fundamentally obvious and, and, and you've made it very clear with respect to this uh, and, and the opportunity to be able to take, um, take the time in which a vehicle is at rest anyway as part of its normal duty cycle, uh, you know, uh, hey, uh, charge it then. <clears throat> and and um, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so infatuated with, with, with what you've, you've developed here is, is in the kinds of things that we're trying to do, which is, you know, the Trenton Moves project, not to switch it over to what the heck we're trying to do, to, to provide, you know, mobility uh, to everyone in, in Trenton, and, and to do it with something that looks exactly like your taxi model, your model in which, in which there's a taxi stand, 
we're we're not looking to 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 do New York City cab style, in which you know you go up and down the street and get hailed, and you're basically never stopped. Right. Uh, I mean, come on, that it might that actually it only works in Manhattan. That, that, that doesn't work even in, 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 in it certainly it doesn't work in Harlem, doesn't work in, in Queens, doesn't work in Brooklyn, doesn't work. Don't, I mean, it's just Manhattan is where that works. And, and man, Manhattan's a whole different, don't get me down the Manhattan issue. <laughs> um, company just decided they're going to be in Manhattan five years from now. I'm, I'm there. I mean, what really you're going to go compete with the New York city subway system that operates uh, 365.2524.7 real never mind you know we are not i'm not going to get dragged into that one but 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 what we're trying to do in trenton is create we call them kiosks taxi stands in which these driverless vehicles so I'd like to say, would you be sitting there waiting for people to use them, show up and hop in, you know, waiting there like a little puppy dog waiting for you. Guess what? When they're waiting for a puppy dog, you might as well charge them up or, you know, give them a little whatever. And so in these, you know, 50 locations, of course, you would have charges. Of course, you would charge. And if you really look at the operational aspect of trying to serve everyone in Trenton with mobility, what do you find? You find that the vehicles are actually sitting there and waiting like 75% of the time. Yeah. Okay. It's just why? Because, because the way we live, the way we, we get value, the way we, we live our lives and the way we get benefits is, is we go from many places to many places over whole spans of time. It's an right. ex extremely diffuse. It's extremely not sure. Yeah. You know, morning, all the kids getting to school, 1800 kids have to get to Trenton high. Sure. You're like scrambling. Like you can't believe <sighs> put a, you know, six people in a vehicle. Actually, you don't need a 53 passenger vehicle. I mean, you know, the only way you, you ever need a 53 passenger vehicle is, is when you make people wait around all day to go to a few places and then maybe you'll get them and, you don't want me to go down that route. Yeah. If in fact you you are trying to serve the enormously diffuse spatial temporal patterns of mobility that that I think people want to live their lives the best, you find that vehicles will sit around and wait, and when they're sitting around and waiting, they might as well be in charge. So with the way you're doing this, and certainly you don't want, yeah. You don't want to have the thing be able to drive itself yet. You need somebody to plug something into it to charge it up. I mean, whoa, wait a minute. Um, the whole purpose of driverless is to remove labor costs. Right. Okay. I mean, so yeah. therefore, you know, you're really in a situation in which, you know, the kind of, of refueling that is that is meant to this. And then, you know, in our earlier discussion, you then pointed out something that, that I didn't think about, but it's absolutely obvious. What's the other great benefit of this thing with respect to just sitting and charging while you're waiting for your customers to show up and you your ability to serve them on demand just right now with high quality mobility? What's the other thing? You don't have to go out and look for, for gas. How much, how much how much time and space and congestion do people cause because they go out looking for gas? 
what were you telling me? <laughs> yeah, I was just uh, kind of doing some back of the envelope math. I, I don't have the numbers on the top of my mind, but it, it's a many billions of dollars per year economic waste of the act of going to get the gas. And when you take into account, I have to drive there and back. I have the opportunity cost of my time. I have the wear and tear in my vehicle. Uh, there's a, a, a big demand on just the cost of the act of going to get the fuel. And if you can with EVs, if you could distribute opportunistically when you do the fueling, um, you actually kind of eliminate the whole notion of a gas station or a fueling stop by making it an automatic, ubiquitous background operation. And I actually put this picture up behind me just to uh, show you. Um, th this is actually a simulation of what kind of we see the future gas, gas station of the future is. You're at a grocery store, you're at a doctor's office, you're at the shopping center. You're there for 15, 20 minutes. You're parked over a pad getting 40 or 50, 60, 70 miles of incremental range just opportunistically while you're sitting there. And, um, and I actually believe a lot of these retail sites will be our charging sites of the future for this type of opportunity charging. There still may be low power at home charging uh, for some people, but not everybody has an opportunity to charge at home. Um, and even your shared mobility project, they're going to be at locations like this where people are want to go. You got to, You put the chargers where people want to get in and out of the vehicles because that's where the vehicles are stopping. Um, so that's you know, if I would look at your city project, I would take an operations view of the entire city, and you know, it's it's sort of like playing Sim City. Um, none of the yeah, young yeah. folks around know what I'm talking about, uh, yeah. but. It, but but it, it, it's exactly playing SimCity with a new set of capabilities is what we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and it's exactly the, the way we've designed the, the Trenton Moves uh, concept is basically to have these, the, to have the kiosks located at where, where people want to come from and go, where people live and where, not necessarily their their kitchen door, okay, uh, but but within it within a short walk, and and right. and the other fundamental op opportunity that one gets when one does that is then one might even have the opportunity to share the vehicles. And if you can get the vehicle sharing, then the whole economy of providing the mobility, I mean, you go from an average vehicle occupancy of one to an average vehicle occupancy of two, guess what you've done? Right. You've, charged, you've chopped the, the cost of delivering that in half, half. You've, yep. char you've, cho you've chopped the environmental impact of delivering that mobility in half. You know, what are the other things that you can do to change things in half? Oh, my goodness. I mean, cut it out. And this is just go from one to two. In, in peak hours, if you, go, if you go from one to three, you eliminate all congestion. Take any road, even the 405 in California or Route 1 out here or who knows, the, the short kill distressway in, in, in Philadelphia. I mean, you go from an average vehicle occupancy of one to an average vehicle occupancy of three. Oh, my. On the Conchahawken turn, there's I mean, I mean, they're going like a bat out of hell. I mean, you know exactly these, where the congestion is. <laughs> these, these, these are the fundamentals. You know, these, we're not talking. And 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 what 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 I like, what I'm impressed by by what you're doing is is you're looking at some very fundamentals here, some fundamentals of this. Hey, we're 
looks like we are going to move to electricity. If we do move to electricity, how will we sort of do it right? C can I ask you another sort of maybe technical question? Sure. This is, this is level three style charging. What about level two? In other so, words, uh, maybe not, if I, if I look at our Trenton moves or moves in 100 different communities in the United States or in other places in the world, you know, the, the operation of that looks like the operation of an elevator. I use the elevator analogy all the time. Okay, you know, an elevator, I, I, I don't know, I should get the data from an elevator operator. An elevator must sit, must sit not moving probably 75% of the time during the day. Okay, between, between midnight and 6 a.m., I mean, I mean, you know, how many of them move? And, and, and in the midday and so on, how many of them? I mean, really, they really don't move very often. Maybe it's, Maybe it's not 75, maybe it's 50% of the time, but 50% but of the time they're sitting, okay? And they're sitting at either the ground floor, the first floor, the second floor, the what? In Trenton, these vehicles are gonna be sitting at, at, at kiosk number one, kiosk number. We aren't gonna number them like MIT. We're gonna give them names like Princeton, sorry, but we, we prefer names. Um, uh, but but at, at, the, at the Donnelly Homes kiosk, vehicles are just going to be sitting there and they have the opportunity and they really i'd suggest don't need fast charging i mean if you if it's just as easy and just as cheap to do it fast but but is there any opportunity to scale it back yeah you know, for so a darn bus for for a transit bus they keep that thing moving if even if it doesn't have anybody in it why because they paid a driver I mean, you know, how would a manager look? Hey, my driver was sitting most of the time. I mean, you know, people would look at that funny. Okay, so they keep moving empty. Uh, so what? These things aren't just going to move empty. They're, they're, they're not going to go down the street waiting to be hailed in Manhattan. It's not going to be the way they are. They're going to be sitting and waiting, okay, and waiting for a substantial part of the time. Is there an opportunity to pipe it back or is, is it? Is it just as bad at level two as it is at level no, three? So, so these pads will operate anywhere, will operate down to five kilowatts up to about 72 kilowatts. The taxis okay. we're doing now are operate between 35 and 55 kilowatts based on the capability of the car. Um, we are working on a lower power version of our pads that is really aimed at the light duty vehicle fleets. Um, but we actually view that the vehicle side pad will have the capability of both slow charging as well as fast charging um, to enable you to do both that sitting for a long time waiting trickle charging as well yeah. as I'm in high utilization mode I need power now charging. Uh, so we actually see the future of being a and we actually issued a, um, a press released about that technical capability about a week or two ago, okay. uh, where we demonstrate the ability of a single vehicle side component that could operate efficiently with a low power transmitter as well as a high power transmitter. Um, and that's actually a pretty important capability, we think, for the future of e-mobility. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking, yeah, I mean, you know, the details and you know, you know, the potential economics and the potential, you know, value proposition. I, I'm just suggesting that it seems to me that that the, the operational, the constraints placed in to, to do 
optimal operation of these things suggests that one has a substantial, at least with respect to the autonomous taxi, robo-taxi, whatever you want to call it, Trenton moves kind of operation, that in that operation that you, you do have, you, you have the benefit of time because, right. because you're just, we're not going to send them around just moving for the hell of it, okay? And they're going to sit there. And, and you have to size your fleet to be able to handle the peaks. And you want to be able to handle the peaks with some uh, with some ride sharing. Otherwise, you're gonna. I mean, vehicles are just gonna be sitting around all day. Okay, so right. there that that trade off exists in that in that optimization, but that gives you an opportunity also to to say, okay, I do have I I have a wonderful opportunity of time here, and that's that's the reason why I mentioned. Yeah, and and you know honestly, we haven't been involved in any discussion around the details of what you're doing, so you know it's yeah, hard. To, no, I understand. It's hard yeah, to sit yeah. here on the fly and do a system design, yeah. uh, but I think when we look at what you're trying to accomplish and you know what vehicles and battery um, architectures you're working with, will help advise on what is the right charging strategy. Yeah, because yeah. you don't necessarily need charging at all of your charging sites either as part of your system design. We'll be back, but this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. On the website, we should point out it's a good idea to read the white paper. It's called the Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under the Insights and News tab. Some great information there to help you make informed decisions about investing. You may know there that ETFs can be a smart way to spread risk with investments. Maybe focus on a particular category of stocks. The website, again, is MOTOETF.com. We are back with more of Smart Driving Cars and our guest, Bob Kasergis from Momentum Dynamics. Bob, let me ask you this. Um, what advantages do you feel you have over competitors in the wireless EV charging space. We've been talking about what you do, but obviously other companies are looking at this. Tell us about your advantages. Well, I think our advantage is in that we have a modular design that can interoperate with any uh, type of vehicle. And we just use, you know, I, I, I jokingly refer to it as our Lego strategy. We have a Lego set with one building block. Um, and the advantages that gives me is, as I mentioned earlier, is I can, parallel these building blocks to operate at a lower amperage, a high power system. I can uh, get the benefits of scale more quickly by having one building block because I apply that same building block across all of my markets and whichever market inflects at scale, I benefit across all of the markets that I serve. And then probably the most important capability that that modular design is, is absolute vehicle interoperability where I could have any vehicle with our technology from any manufacturer can drive at any charger um, and charge successfully. So I can take a taxi from Oslo and it'll charge in Washington state at a bus charger if we give permission. Um, and that's the capability that nobody else is pursuing in this field. And we are by far the leader in terms of the number of deployments and diversity of deployments uh, that are commercial deployments. Um, there are a lot of people trying to do what we've been doing. There have been about 30 companies who have had projects. Um, many still do have projects to try to develop wireless. Um, most of them are down in the, uh, the 7 to 10 kilowatt range, and they are 
having a hard, hard time breaking through that barrier, uh, coming up to a higher power level. You know, well, the, the, you know the, go ahead, Alan. Well, you know, those, those are all, you know, extremely important, um, you know, buzzwords and so on, capabilities, the interoperability and so on and so forth. Uh, the opportunity to scale, I just want to sort of reflect in terms of, you know, what we're trying to do in Trenton, again, not to not to, to jump on, to, on top of what you're trying to do, but, but the whole purpose of doing Trenton is, is just the beginning, a way to start, is a way to, to get this going. I mean, you know, if it doesn't scale throughout Mercer County, it, it won't be successful. If, it does, if we can't replicate that throughout New Jersey and, and massively scale through, uh, uh, throughout New Jersey, it's not successful. And in fact, if it doesn't go beyond New Jersey and, and go across the nation, it, it it doesn't it, it doesn't do it uh, so the whole idea is uh, is they get this darn technology driverless technology started uh in in and delivering some societal value doing some deployment actually doing it you know we've had enough tests you mean 330 billion or whatever mckinsey claims have been spent in this sector maybe two-thirds of it in driverless or driverless evolution, you know, hasn't produced something that we can finally get a dollar out of societal value out of it. And so the idea is to get it out there for scale. And I think, you know, you you understand that, that scale aspect very well. And, and, yeah. and um, you know, the one, the first one or two are, are, are quite a challenge, but if the opportunity for interoperability, the scaling and, 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 and multiple use and network effects associated with that, that's, that's where, that's where finally all this stuff not only delivers a societal value, but also allows you to do well for your, for your, uh, for your stockholders and your owners. I mean, you know, these things have to be businesses. Tell, tell me what your thoughts are, Bob, about the money coming out of Washington, the $7.5 billion in the infrastructure bill that's uh, designated for half a million EV chargers around the country. There's got to be a, a race going on, I guess, uh, just to determine whether or not you're going to be a player. This wireless technology is going to be getting a, a big chunk of that. So that's a, a part of a multi-year plan uh, for build out of infrastructure. Um, initially, it is very plug focused and very consumer focused and to give consumers confidence that there's going to be chargers there when they go to drive. Um, we are actively involved in the conversations around how that gets uh, deployed and dispersed. Um, but we, we are actually quite comfortable if they go out and build plug infrastructure, build it out all over the place, because once our technology is more widely available, we will be able to displace where it makes sense and pick up the power connections that they are building out through that infrastructure build out. Um, so initially, as I mentioned earlier, we're focusing on the commercial fleets um, and a lot of that build out is more consumer vehicle focused. We are working on passenger fleets as well, but the model years that you won't, you won't see wireless in uh, production consumer models until probably the 2025 model year. Uh, whereas we are currently selling factory produced commercial vehicles with wireless today. So that's actually the market that is here now being served. Um, and we're busy fulfilling demand and keeping our production guys busy with. Um, we are fully confident though, it will migrate to the consumer passenger 
uh, vehicle market as well, um, because the, the benefits are just so compellingly obvious. Um, I drive an electric vehicle and um, I have a home charger. And every time I come out and I see it unplugged in the morning, I'm like, I wish I had my wireless charger. Um, so I, I see the benefit um, very clearly. Um, and every time I take it out anywhere, like you know, this picture behind me, I'm constantly looking at these retail locations as whenever I'm running an errand, I'm always doing the math of, no, this was a 15 mile errand or a, I could have gotten 40 miles at this errand, um, thinking about that future state. If we talk about your competitors though, too, and, and you know, you talk about your advantages, doesn't there need to be a standard when it comes to this? I mean, Absolutely. Um, there's actually been a, a SAE initiative been going on for seven, eight, nine years on that front. There's also initiatives over in Europe for standards, and we're involved uh, in multiple standards related initiatives. Um, and over time, I think that will happen. Uh, we need the same thing on the plug side uh, as well, because even though um, there's, there's almost standards here uh, on the plug side, there really isn't. Uh, my car comes with an adapter kit of about six different adapters for different plug types for plug-in chargers. So it is a bit of a wild, wild west on how vehicles and chargers get connected to each other. And I think, you know, it will all have to come together into common practices. And over time, you know, hopefully the uh, economics of the market will determine who the best solutions are and will build standards around those solutions. Uh, yeah, that's that's of, of course a tough challenge, and and uh, it's just a tough challenge. And, you know, I can I can well any any entity uh, wants to have the standards, to, wants to set the standards for whatever it is that they're selling, and uh, you know because in some sense that's a way to establish a monopoly, not. Not that anybody really does it that, but of course it is. I mean, and one can't be, you know, basically um, uh, cut out of the business because, you know, somebody, you know, somebody's standards is set up against somebody's, you know, IP that, you know, you don't have an opportunity to get in there. And hopefully the standards uh, processes make sure that, uh, that 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 kind of thing doesn't happen. And, uh, it's 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 part of the um, uh, the uh, evolution process that just takes an enormous amount of overhead to do things. Um, um, I guess you know in the beginning you just go out and do what you did, get a bunch of customers, <laughs> establish your own standard. You know, I guess I don't know. Uh, it seems as if you know the, uh, the iPhone was was not. The first phone, <laughs> Nokia was out there once. Uh, 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 was out there once. Uh, how many? And then there were the bricks or whatever car phones that were out there once. And, and I don't know. These guys sort of I don't know, set their own standard. I don't know. Maybe there are two. I don't know what goes on. Who knows? But but. Um, but I guess, you know, it seems to me that at least uh, from what you've described, you, you do have some fundamental economic and technological advantage here that really looks to address what is a real, what is a fundamental challenge in this business. And it seems like you have a, certainly a solution that's, that 
that folks should be uh, taking a serious look at and, and and you've told us that they are i mean that's what that's what your 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 book of business um, indicates so you know congratulations on all that well, we want to talk about some things in the latest newsletter too, Alan. We'll move. Yeah, move yeah. If we bit. could, yeah, let's no. do that. You highlight a, a recent New York Times piece headlined "Facing Higher Grocery Prices: Shoppers Change Habits," and it helps to put the spotlight on mobility, which is what we've been talking about here, and the need for equitable and affordable transportation. Yeah, I mean, it really didn't put the spotlight on. They finally got to it in the next last sentence of a who knows how many page uh, article, uh, basically, you know, pointing out that uh, that even in this situation, uh, those that have access to cars uh, can address uh, the situation a whole heck of a lot better than those that don't. And this has everything to do with with this issue of mobility. You know, those of us that, that have who knows how many cars sitting in the driveway, just again, waiting like little puppy dogs to be used. The enormous advantage that we have, we should be knocking on wood. We should be thanking everybody that we have in, in addressing these things is is so much greater than, than someone and doesn't. And, and my goodness, uh, you know, this is why this is why we we're really pushing the, you know, the Trenton moves concept to basically provide high quality mobility to everyone in Trenton, where 70 percent of the households have access to one or fewer cars. And that is very different than this than what exists in Chandler, Arizona which I point out all the time for obvious reasons, where 70% of the households have access to two or more. Okay, they can do pretty well for themselves with what they have. But in some sense, I think it's, you know, it's, 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 it's imperative that, that, that society, especially with this technology that doesn't care who it serves, it sits there and just says, juice me. I can, I can do this for you. I can make it happen. And in fact, because because I'm using this to do it, I, you know, in any kind of scale, I'm I'm basically at a cost level that is cost of providing before any subsidy that is absolute peanuts. And of course, we should be doing it. And why we're not just drives me nuts. And, you know, with my classes and my students, we've looked at the 1.1 billion trips that take place on a typical day in the United States and look at the opportunities that the, this technology could de to deliver to a substantial part of that. And, and why we're not starting to just do it drives me nuts. So I guess that's, you know, that's what's motivating us. And it's nice to see the New York Times finally goes out there and says, hey, yeah, you know, how well we can deal with now this inflation problem just to feed our families. You know, people, there is not a Walmart in Trenton. You don't have a car. You can't get to a Walmart. You got to walk to Hamilton Township. Come on. And why, you know, why is a Walmart, at least, you know, Walmart, Costco, I mean, you know, Costco, yeah, I mean, you know, they have a really nice, I go to Costco, okay? At least at Walmart, Walmart's built its business around affordability, you know, reasonable quality, affordable things. 
for a lot of people, they've delivered enormous good to a broad segment of the U.S. population. But the way they've done it is because they've located it at the intersection of major roads, huge parking lots. If you have a car, man, you can get there and they'll serve you beautifully. You don't have a car, you don't get there. Oh yeah, you can beg and borrow around neighbor, please take me, when can I do, restructure my life to be able to do it when you wanna do it, so on. It's not like us with cars, we just hop in and go. Why, why, why don't those folks have the opportunity to have that kind of quality of life? Anyway, drives me nuts, you know that, Fred. Well, hopefully something is. Yeah, well, we're, so. <laughs> we're, we're working on it. We're, we're, we're working on it. Also in the newsletter, Alan, a couple of other quick headlines. Oshkosh Corporation investing in robotic research. Yeah. You're highlighting yeah, that. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, Oshkosh was one of the, you know, they were out there um, uh, doing uh, uh, the DARPA challenge when I was doing it in 2005. They did complete it. And they completed it with just, with, with just cameras. I think I think Alberto Brogi, you know, did the did the did, did the uh, the uh, vision only. I think, unless my my memory's incorrect on that, it could be that I have. I mean, I'm getting old, Fred. I don't remember so well anymore. I mean, Alberto and 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 and, and I were the only two entities out there who were trying to do it just with vision. I mean, I just had a bunch of, you know. Uh, rising sophomores with me. I mean, what the hell are you going to do with just Princeton rising sophomores? <laughs> I mean, we did pretty well. We got we got some very good students, whatever. Anyway, but it's nice to see that they're there. You know, they they, they you know if if there's any place that needs that needs driverless mobility and in, in big vehicles, it's the military. I mean, what you're going to take one of these trucks and drive it down the road with somebody you know in the driver's seat when you're doing whatever i mean cut it out and that was the motivation that changed everything starting in you know 2004 2005 2007 and that has led us to where we are but it's, it's still and it's nice to see robotics research who's who's really um, who does it does it for the military and oshkosh somewhat getting a little closer together so congratulations to them talk about darpa there was a piece in motor biscuit that you highlight about a driverless car setting a blistering speed record. And then the headline continues, but does anyone care? I mean, look, I don't think the military cares about how fast they go, as long as they're going, you know, and whatever. And, and we know in, in Trenton, if we're trying to move people even to a Walmart, I mean, you don't have to go over 35 miles an hour. Uh, you know, this isn't about going on the Autobahn, okay? And 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 really, uh, there is so much low-hanging fruit of societal value that you can address with very, you know, reasonable speeds. Uh, you know, and plus in Jersey, I mean, drives me nuts. The the the, the speedometer in my car shows that that. 220 miles an hour that maybe that I can spin it to. I mean, what if I try to do that in Jersey? Maybe I'll come to Pennsylvania and try it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, what? Are you, we'll are take, you we'll joking? Take you long at that I mean, <laughs> uh, cut it out. I don't know. It's whatever. Well, 
There are a couple of conferences uh, coming up that we yeah. want to make mention of uh, this coming week. Uh, the National Shared Mobility Summit in Chicago is this week. Yep. Yep. That's Wednesday. I, I guess uh, they, 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 I'm going out there and, and stir things up a little bit, maybe. <laughs> and then, and then uh, on Tuesday, we have a, we have a session uh, with the, uh, with the accessibility folks, right, so that's um, the ICT accessibility testing symposium. Yeah, and th that one that one's online for for the folks, and you can you don't have to go to Chicago for that one. Uh, but uh, that one's going to be um, uh, on Zoom or you know what are the uh, online medias, and and that one's really interesting because. Uh, because uh, because of ADA, there are a whole bunch of folks that deal with accessibility issues, especially accessibility to uh, to uh, folks who may not have as as much dexterity as as, as some of us have, and uh, and to look at it that if we're going to do this driverless vehicle, uh, you know, we have to make sure that uh, at least for some of the vehicles or a sufficient number of the vehicles that we can address the, the spectrum of, of, of folks who, who, who may want to use it. Um, and, uh, and certainly the, the mental and, and physically um, challenged folks are, are really important. Uh, and, but I, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that, I, that I'm going to focus on with that is when one deals with accessibility associated with uh, things like uh, Trenton Moves, uh, the accessibility is, is, is not just accessibility getting in and out of the vehicle that remains enormously important. There's also the accessibility of going from where you're actually coming from to the vehicle and then from the vehicle to where you're actually going to. And so the access ability of the access pieces on either end are really important. And and one needs the folk one needs to focus on that not only for for folks that are that are physically challenged certainly uh, sight uh, uh, mobility and so on, but also for for folks that are economically challenged uh, that don't happen to to, uh, to uh, or uh, that that where they live happens to be who know what whatever and one has to make sure that one is able to deal with the accessibility on both on both ends and so you know again just to uh, just to get the the discussion um, uh, to to sit there and, and try to work the problem i think i just pointing out that uh, that's an important piece i'd like to also just take take a minute in case people don't come to one of the comments that i'll probably end up making uh, in, in the run-up to, to that particular session, uh, Neil Lewis, who's, uh, I guess he's, uh, he's the number two guy uh, in the um, chain of command at the uh, National Federation for the Blind, and Neil's a, a great guy, he's going to be at the, at the summit and participate in the summit. Um, we were talking about accessibility and, and, um, and what he, he was looking for, um, you know, in terms of accessibility capabilities for the blind. And he sent me for a complete loop. When he said to me, he said, he said, Alan, you know, I, I, I want to be just like everybody else. I want to be able to drive a car. And I said, what? I want to be able to drive a car. 
I thought you just wanted to be driven. That absolute, oh my goodness. I, I think I finally got it. It's amazing how stupid I've been all my life. You know, oh, poor Neil. I, I've gotten the opportunity to drive a car. You have Fred, I think. You have Bob. He hasn't. Oh my goodness. What do we need to do? Or what should we do to give him the opportunity to drive a car? And then it got me thinking, the toughest thing about giving him a new a, a, a ride is, you know, the sensors. Oh my goodness, we got cameras, we got lidars, we got radars, we got more sensors. Do we got blah, 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 blah. we got more sensors than you can throw a whatever. And actuators, we have redundant steering, we have redundant braking, we have we have all the actuators that you need. Where's the problem? The problem is in the what we call AI. I mean, it's nowhere near artificial intelligence, but whatever in the in the in the in this in the compute stack of, of figuring out how you take the input, the sensors, and create the output to not crash. That's the tough part. That's where everybody's pulling their hair out, trying to get to work. That's where most of the whatever hundreds of billions have been spent on. That's what everybody's working on, deep learning, da-da-dee, da-da-da, and so on and so forth. But when you look at, at Anil, what does he have? He has the brains. He has that stack in his head. Now what we have to do is figure out how do we take the sensor information and transfer it to his brain. Because then he can then figure out how to do stuff. And all of a sudden, man, I was thinking, how many PhDs am I gonna get students from Princeton on, on this problem? I mean, this is, I hadn't thought about, the, I, in my ignorance, I hadn't thought about this problem. If, if, you, if you look, if you look at, at, at what we've been able to do with the blind, they can't, I guess they can't see letters, yet their fingers go over braille and they read. Now, what is it that we need to do with all these sensors and the data and the and whatever and the bytes and the that comes out of all that stuff to not transform it? I don't know, braille's probably not it, but transform it instead of going through our eyes, go through maybe our fingers or maybe our ears or maybe I don't know what, I don't know, I, I, I know, I, I know, I think that Anil's other sensory systems are, are enhanced because he doesn't have the opportunity to see. And so how do we then take that and put that into the, his, visual cortex or other parts of his brain so that then it can figure out that, oh man, I just need to twiddle this thing and maybe even turn a steering wheel. 
Okay. You, you mentioned bringing your students into this. <laughs> oh man. I mean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking there's like, there's like 18 PhDs, this dissertations in this sucker. There's a so, whole so new Alan, research. Are, are I mean, familiar? I just think it's like wild. Anyway, Bob. If you uh, followed or read anything about Elon Musk's company, Neuralink? No. What's that one? Did he do it? I mean, that's, Elon, no, that's I didn't the one you've been describing it for the, the last chip, right? five minutes. Yeah. What? You've been describing it for the last five minutes. Oh. That's what he's looking to do. Is, implant, is that implant really what he's looking to do with that? Oh, oh yes, they are. They are looking to to do that. And, and it's more. not in the news, but but go dig a, go dig into it a little bit. I okay. Think well, I, there's hey, some very I'm, interesting I'm videos. Somebody that else doing, I'm just hey, I'm just expressing my my ignorance in all this stuff. <laughs> I I just I just thought it is. So I know some folks are doing it so that and and they've had challenges for driving. For, for the blind, I, 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 I or, or, or that sort of thing. I guess I'm also looking at some very fundamental aspects of information and in, information out to the brain as to how to how to be able to deal with that. And you know, again, Neil, this was just a couple of weeks ago that Neil sent me on the on this loop, right. and and um, I just it's just interesting. I, it also, I guess the, the other piece and the reason why I, I mentioned it here is, is to me, um, uh, it really struck me as to, in my own thought process here, I was, you know, assuming, hey, all I have to do for, for visually challenged people is give them a ride. Sure, they might want to ride. But boy, you know, one one of the disparities between between their quality of life and my quality of life is I get to drive sometimes and they haven't. And that's a shame. Well, Alan, you, we talked about your students and, and we did mention them before, but yep. uh, in the latest newsletter, you have links to the best eight of the Princeton Operations Research and Financial Engineering Class of 22 Senior Thesis Symposium, and you're giving people a chance to go online and take a look at some of these. Yeah, and, and I think uh, the last uh, um, e-letter I, I linked it, and, and the university had not yet released um, um, the videos because of course, you know, you got to make sure everybody signs off and all that sort of thing. And I, I hope that, the, that this is finally released, but I, I'm so proud of them. Um, uh, not only because of the, the quality of the work, uh, but the focus of the work and, and, and really the focus of, of the uh, research efforts to trying to address some, some, some substantive uh, societal challenges. And, and of course, out of all this, you know, yes, of course, we want to make enough money so that, uh, so that we can afford to feed our families and all that stuff. But in the end, I think, uh, you know, the, the uh, trying to do some good for society really has to be part of it. And I, and I'm so proud of them for, you know, spending a year, their senior thesis work, uh, them and, and a lot of their, their classmates uh, just doing a fantastic job. And so, you know, I guess that's, I have to push my day job. Right. <laughs> and the smart driving car summits coming up uh, just a, a few weeks away, really the beginning of June, uh, yep. the update on the agenda. 
Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, the agenda is so solid. I think, uh, you know, it, it's really, it's it's very interesting the way it's it's gotten to be set up. We start, you know, we start out Thursday evening with a meet and greet at my house, just a, you know, meet and greet. Uh, and then on, uh, on uh, Friday morning, it's really um, uh, have a number of people from around the country, around the world, uh, coming to Princeton. We're not doing this on on, on Zoom. Uh, we're not going to continue to try to become the Princeton University of Phoenix. Okay, no, just, uh, I mean, that was just no way to do business. Uh, but um, but we're, we're, they're coming and we're going to, and the idea is to, is to learn from, from others and, and from what, what they have to teach us in their efforts to, to try to make all this stuff actually happen and, and, and deploy and, um, and, and have it as, a, as not a partially lecture, but have it as a, a deep engagement. And at noon, uh, Commissioner of Transportation, she'll, she'll basically describe the, uh, in depth uh, the, uh, the Trenton Moose project. In the afternoon, we have a number of parallel sessions that will deal with, with some of the you know, large remaining challenges to try to make anything happen. And we'll deal with that in the afternoon, Friday afternoon. That's all, that's all on, on campus um, uh, in, in the uh, School of Engineering and Department of Operations Research and Financial Engineering at Princeton, my department. And then the evening, we're doing a, um, a banquet at um, at Prospect. You know, I've got to have a nice banquet, at least for the folks that uh, that that are that come here and uh, and so on. And Friday evening, and then Saturday. And the reason that Saturday is because we want to do the the community engagement piece that's going to be taking place at the. Uh, Carl Fields uh, uh, Center for for Equality at Princeton, perfect uh, location for that. Um, um, I've invited the governor to basically um, uh, kick the whole thing off in the morning. I'm, you know, I haven't heard back, but he sh he, I think he should want to. I mean, but anyway, that's my view. Uh, but we'll have uh, basically two uh, community uh, involvement. Uh, uh, roundtables with uh, with mayors and members of the of this uh, New Jersey Senate and Assembly and other sort of uh, dignitaries. The first one is uh, is basically focused on on uh, how do we uh, prepare for uh, for success in Trenton and to uh, to uh, expand it throughout. Mercer County, which is key. I mean, can't just stay in that small operational design domain. You have to get the network effects of the of the opportunities of, of interconnecting things, but by by expanding the operational design domain. And then the second one is is basically uh, focused on how do we prepare ourselves to. Uh, to take success uh, in in uh, Trenton and Mercer County and replicate that throughout New Jersey, and and have invited a number of mayors across not only New Jersey but also also from uh, from other. Uh, Key cities around the country to come in and and uh, and be involved in that discussion. How do we prepare for it? How do we how do we really look to to do it? Because again, you know the scale, and then and then uh, the luncheon uh, keynote uh, is uh, is Robert Hampshire who who um, uh, happened to have gotten his PhD from Orphe. Um, um, uh, 
12 years ago or whatever, is now um, uh, the, um, the Assistant Secretary in, in Charge of Research and Development at USDOT. But basically, Robert, um, you know, talking about how do we really massively scale this uh, from, from New Jersey throughout the nation. And so it's sort of in a, you know, Trenton, Mercer County, replication, boom, boom, boom. So the idea is that through that period of time, we, we deal with that. And then the afternoon is really focused on, on, on just um, informal discussions around, you know, with, with vehicles where, you know, three, at least three companies who could do this are going to be coming here. Uh, you know, GM Cruise, uh, 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 May Mobility and, uh, and um, uh, Beep. Uh, you know, there may and be responded to our, our, our FEI in terms of having interests. Uh, uh, GM Cruise has, has taken some strong interest in, 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 in looking at Trenton and basically discuss with them, okay, uh, looks like you guys can do it. Uh, guys and gals can do it. Uh, um, how do we get you here to actually do it? Uh, how do we, what do we do? How do we create the public-private partnership that actually does it and 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 does it sustainably by sustainably i mean does it does it this isn't a demo this is this is this is deployment for for scale this is to do it so that it remains and uh, you know if it's only going to be a demo you know too old to be involved then you know i gotta get out of here try i've been doing it for way too long fred so you know this is my last hurrah. What, what was it, Fred? Uh, I guess my first, uh, Bob, just for your information, I think my first um, final report for using automation to improve mobility in Trenton is dated March 1975. <laughs> and the list of students that were involved with that ended up, I mean, you know, Craig Phillip ended up being CEO of Ingram Barge. I mean, you know, they've, they've all gone out and had careers that, that accomplished a whole hell of a lot. I'm still trying to provide. Um, <laughs> Alan, to, to your comment of a, I don't want to just do a demo. When somebody says, I want to demo your technology, I say, how about we get on an airplane and we go see it operating somewhere? That will be your demo. I mean, I mean, what? And then, I mean, come, then come home and do it for yourself. Oh, come on. I mean, no, seriously. I mean, if it's, if it's not going, if it's, I mean, really, we're, we're going to take cash for a demo. I mean, I'm, uh, you can't pay me enough. You just, you can't pay me enough. I, I won't do it. Really, you can't pay me enough. Well, Bob, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time with us and, and congratulations <laughs> on what uh, Momentum Dynamics has been doing. We, we hope maybe you'll be able to join us in, in Princeton as well. Your formal invite. But uh, I, I think we are, are going to join you there and uh, appreciate the invitation. And Alan, very, very good to meet you. <laughs> no. Hey, Bob, very nice to meet you. Really, um, um, uh, again, uh, you know, to me, it looks like you're you're. You're addressing this from the right way and for whatever that's worth, but whatever. The website is MomentumDynamics.com. Thank you to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO. You can find more info at MOTOETF.com. Technical support is provided by CARTS. 
the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high-quality mobility for all. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever you turn to for podcasts. You can get your smart speaker to play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching and please continue to stay safe. Thank you everybody and Bob, thanks a lot. And thanks for being uh, you know, so informative and so uh, forthright with us. We appreciate it.